Welcome to it, the Pure Opelka Podcast. This is a very special edition. I'm not doing a live radio show Saturday night, so I wanted to put together a very, very important podcast and deliver it to you. It has some of the best interviews from yesterday, Friday, and we have to share them. For example, yesterday there was so much attention on Japan after the assassination of the former prime minister and uh, the stories coming out of China that have been bubbling all week about China's efforts to undermine America and also the insane story about America selling some of our strategic petroleum reserves to China. Why? Why was that going on? And, And how in the world was that connected to Hunter Biden? It is so much corruption that I think we were overfilled with corruption. In order to understand all of it, to get the big picture, I reached out to our friend Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. He's the smartest guy on things China, on things Korea, North and South, on Japan, on the entire Asian peninsula. And um, we, we pick his brain here. Gordon Chang Thank you for being here, my friend. I cannot wait to get into this discussion. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, I was talking about the concerns that America and uh, Great Britain have had with China and the spying, the cyber attacks, and how we've been warning each other. China has been a a major concern for us, and um, our FBI director was at MI5, a couple of days ago, warning the British agents about it. And now he's he's traveled halfway around the world to talk more about China. Are we really facing serious cyber threats worse than we've seen in the past from China? Well, that's what uh, FBI Director Chris Ray said on Wednesday when he had that joint event with MI5. And it does appear to be the case because we are losing more and more U.S. intellectual property, Cyber attacks are across a wider sector of our society. So, yes, Mike, um, it looks worse than it did before. And before, it was really bad. Um, We're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's say, $500 billion of U.S. intellectual property stolen every year. Some people say a little more. Some people say a little less. But we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars annually. Uh, that's not good. That, that is not good for any of us. And I know China seems to be getting more and more desperate. You and I talked before going on the air about how you predicted a couple of years ago that the Chinese Communist China Party would collapse within a decade. Is that that timeline moving any sooner? And is that causing some more of the aggressive action, do you think? I think that the Chinese leaders are starting to see a closing window of opportunity because they've got an economy right now that's not growing in the double digits. It's not even growing in the high single digits. It's probably stagnant, um, maybe even contracting. And that's not just COVID-19. That's also some fundamental factors. But there's a debt crisis, which they can't get out of. Um, They've got uh, COVID-19 lockdowns are coming back to China. And also the demography crisis. China is going to lose somewhere on the neighborhood of, let's say, 900 million people uh, between now and the end of the century. There are 1.41 billion people now. 
probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 500, maybe 600 million if they're lucky when the uh, calendar turns to 2200 to 2100. But the thing about this, Mike, is that this is going to be the steepest decline in demography in the absence of war or disease. So you put all these crises together, and the question is, can China get through it? And I think the answer is not without a severe crisis. And when you talk about a severe crisis, that means uh, a, a broad economic collapse, which then triggers a societal collapse, which could trigger some kind of a revolution and an overthrowing of the government? That could very well be the case. Um, what we've got to be concerned with is that uh, Communist Party leaders, who are always insecure, even in the best of times, become desperate and decide that they'll create uh, an, a military misadventure abroad in order to distract the Chinese people from the problems they've created at home. So, you know, it could be Taiwan, could be Japan, could be the Philippines. Right now, at this, this week, um, China was provoking crises on the East China Sea against Japan at the Senkakus, uh, which the Chinese call the Dalyus, and at the same time in the South China Sea at Second Thomas Shoal, which is generally considered to be part of the Philippines. So um, this is a week where China has been pushing its neighbors really, really hard. Well, since you brought pushing its neighbors really, really hard, especially you mentioned Japan, the situation overnight with the assassination of the former prime minister, Shinzo Abe, uh, has China reacted? Has China expressed its condolences? Do you know? China has expressed condolences officially, but we also know that China is also trying to take advantage of the situation. So a friend of mine who studies the Moroccan social media scene noticed that immediately after the assassination, um, that Morocco's um, social media sites were being inundated with postings from China. So this is a, a real attempt to make propaganda hay out of this. And we can expect more of this behavior. So Japan really is at risk right now. Not only do they have internal problems they got to deal with, but they got to deal with China's trying to aggravate the situation. And to what end would China be aggravating a situation with Japan? What's the, what's the end game for them? Well, the end game is to defang Japan, um, to make sure that it's not going to pose uh, a threat to China. But more important, that, that, to, that Japan will not defend itself. You know, the Chinese leaders believe that they are the world's only sovereign rulers. And they not only believe that they should rule the entire world, they're now even talking about ruling the moon and Mars as part of uh, the People's Republic of China. So this is the most ambitious ruling group in history. And, of course, they want to um, target their neighbors, including Japan. It's, a, it's amazing. When I heard the story about uh, claiming the moon, I, I, I was stunned when I heard Russia and China had designs on the, uh, the, the wealth of minerals and, and stuff underneath the polar ice cap. And then you hear, oh, yeah, but they're, they're going to claim the moon, not just wherever they land, but the entire moon. They're going to they're say it belongs to them. Uh, and they have not been there yet, but they're planning on it, uh, right? That's right. Uh, in 2018, the head of China's lunar exploration, exploration program talked about um, taking, making sure that other nations um, could not go to the moon because China would go there first. 
and then deny others access to the lunar surface. How can they do that? It's not like you can sneak up and have a sneak attack on the moon. Uh, you can't cover the entire planet's surface. And in fact, um, you know, we're headed back there on, on both commercial and, and government flights or rockets to the moon. I, it, that's, that just seems like a crazy science fiction tale. Well, if you put surface-to-air missiles, um, you can actually shoot down uh, craft that are approaching the moon. And, um, you know, we've got to be prepared to um, land in a contested environment. I never thought about that. I never thought about putting surface-to-air missiles on the moon, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, Gordon, while we're talking about China, the oil story that popped up this week astounded me about the almost a million barrels that we sold from our strategic petroleum reserves to China. And it's an oil company that has ties to Hunter Biden. How in the heck is something like that even allowed to happen? I mean, that's actually the most stunning story of the year in my book. First of all, you know, Biden um, tweeted last week that we're in wartime. Well, if we're in wartime, we shouldn't be taking um, oil out of our strategic reserve merely for the purpose of reducing the price of oil. Um, this is something that we will need in an emergency. So he shouldn't have been doing that. But if he's going to do it, he's got to realize that the oil is priced in global markets. So if there's going to be a difference in price, yes, companies will export oil um, and um, there's Hunter Biden is just icing on the cake. I mean, this is just astounding. Um, so really what we're looking at is a trifecta of stupidity on the part of the administration, maybe corruption. Yeah, it feels like it is a, a trifecta of stupidity, as you said, but it also feels very corrupt to me. I just don't know if we'll ever get the full story. Uh, the, the person I do know we get the full story from is Gordon Chang, and you need to follow Gordon. He is at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. He's he's on the bookshelves. Uh, go read the, the Coming Collapse of China, and uh, maybe it's a lot faster than the 10-year timeline, Gordon. And uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you, and I hope I get to see you in Dallas at CPAC in August. I'll be looking for you and your bride. We are going to be there, Mike, and we're going to find you. <laughs> so we'll, we'll meet up. Great, great. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate all your knowledge. Thanks, Mike. And there he goes, Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Follow him. I guarantee you, you will know more than you would have learned from the major network news shows about what's happening with China and Korea and Japan, etc. The guy knows his stuff. And speaking of knowing their stuff, there were some wild legal stories in the news in the last day. The story about... Kat Von D, the tattoo artist who's being sued because she is uh, creating images using something very similar to a very famous photograph, and it might be a copyright infringement. And then there was this story of Japan threatening to lock people up if they in insult folks on Twitter. Can you imagine lock locking someone up because they insult your duty head on Twitter? Now you're cuffed and going to jail. Uh, I want to talk to Wendy about this. And also about the black boxes being installed on cars in the European Union. Is that coming here? It sure feels like it is headed here. We'll talk about privacy, free speech, and of course, copyrights. All important issues here in America. 
with our friend, attorney, author, public speaker, Wendy Patrick. Wendy, I'm glad you're here, but I have to ask you the question. Did you see the Norwegian cruise ship that had to go back to port because it hit an iceberg in Alaska? Has that ever happened to you? You know, what's funny, I've been on cruise ship crashes before. You know, you, you take enough cruises, obviously something is going to happen. So um, I would have considered it, you know, just kind of rolled with the punches in some of these uh, some of these cruise ship disasters. I know some of the passengers would have said, you know, it was it was very, very traumatic. And others found it traumatic when cruise ships have had to be turned around because everybody has COVID. So go figure. It's one of those um, risky vacations nowadays on many levels, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. And, and nobody got hurt and there was no real damage to the ship. But just That's to make, right. just to make That's sure, right. I just don't know how we hit icebergs in this day and age, you know. Cars can pretty much drive themselves if we let them, but a, a, a ship can't Cruise afford... ships can't. Yeah. Cruise well, ships can't. That's, that's what we've learned. That's the answer. <laughs> that's what we've learned today. That's a good thing. Wendy, <laughs> Wendy I, I have a bunch of crazy cases that caught my attention that I wanted to pick your brain about, and they're not all here in America. Surprise, they're happening all around the world. And I just wonder, what, what are the implications for the rest of us in these cases? For example... Uh, I've been keeping my eye on what the automotive industry is doing in terms of automation and monitoring, et cetera. And the American automobile makers are trying to, in the next five years, have a technology on board that will allow law enforcement and insurance companies monitor how you drive. And for law enforcement, they technically would be able to slow down and shut down your car if they determined you were driving while under the influence of something or too tired to operate a motor vehicle. And the insurance companies could monitor you to see if you were a good or a bad risk based on your driving habits. Well, that's not here yet. It is in the legislation that passed about a year ago, but it's happening in the EU. They've already got new technology now in every new car. It puts a black box in the car. It puts the ability to monitor the speed in the car. Uh, have we just entered a new Orwellian phase in transportation? Yeah, you know, so this law went into effect um, on July the 6th. And you, you mentioned it correctly. It's a black box that's now mandatory in these new cars. Um, now, I have to say, it, it's almost ironic we're talking about it today because I don't know about you. I'm trying not to press the gas pedal hardly at all so I can save money on <laughs> gas nowadays. So it's like you know, people are just driving like grandmas and like seeing how far they can coast into parking spaces now. But um, if you don't, if you have the luxury of, of being able to sort of blow through a tank of gas, uh, you shouldn't if you live in uh, one of these countries that has this anti-speeding technology. And, you know, the European regulators are saying, look, this system calculates the posted speed limit. It analyzes data from navigation or sent through traffic recognition technology. How do you like that term? Um, and then, as you mentioned, it detects whether or not a driver is speeding and it can take action based on that. It can give you a warning. It can vibrate through the steering wheel, um, feedback through the accelerator pedal. I mean, it's almost like a, a two-way communication between you and your car if you're going too fast. Um, I, we also see so many accidents on the side of the road nowadays also that uh, there is a school of thought that maybe it's a good thing for there to be some sort of control over the cars. But when you look at the slippery slope that this might create, and I know this, would, this is probably what your position would be, where would this end? 
if this would be the kind of thing that the government can now regulate, would it, will it now be, you know, if you take it too many bites of your hamburger, um, you're going to get some sort of an alert <laughs> or get flagged? Uh, what if you're too, what if you're an in and out burger in that long line too many times? So those are some of the very valid concerns that people worry about when you have uh, this kind of technology available and being used. Yeah, there's too many places where I think it can be misused. And there are too many places where you would like to say, I have to override it. What if somebody's taking a a woman to the hospital because she's about to deliver a baby? And and there's I would imagine that that would be an affirmative defense in court because the defense of necessity uh, is recognized in a lot of different contexts, but it's very rarely applicable. Um, But that would probably be the way something like this would work. But you'd need a function to override, as you mentioned. I mean, you can imagine there may be other issues as well with some of this technology as whether it can be turned on and off. And you wouldn't have it widely available in these new cars if it could be turned off because everybody would turn it off. Yeah, I'm against it. Right? I'm just starting out yeah. right now saying I'm against it. That's why I'm buying older cars. I won't be buying a new car when this technology <laughs> comes into effect. I will be, I will be keeping my cars longer as long as they are free from Big Brother <laughs> interfering with me. Uh, and uh, I want to talk about uh, copyrights and trademarks. And, and today's the anniversary of a billion years ago, Congress passing the trademark law that allowed people to trademark things. And the copyright laws, I think, are what makes America different from the rest of the world and it allowed people to make money with their brains and, and their creations suddenly became able to be monetized And it's a remarkable thing. And I'm always interested in how innovation creates income. And that's what copyright and trademarks are about. So I read this story about a photographer who took a picture that a famous tattoo artist, Kat Von D, she's got like a reality show on tattoos. She turned that photo into a tattoo. And now this guy's going, hey, that's my artwork. That's. That's you can't have that. And I'm just wondering how far reaching could this be if artists all over the world are suddenly saying to tattoo parlors, you can't use our stuff. Well, actually, it's amazing that we don't hear about this more frequently than we do, because this idea of something being substantially similar, you know, you look at kind of the the lingo that gives us pause to decide, well, gosh, is this the same thing? Do the lyrics sound the same? You know, there's been so many famous cases. Um, The Blurred Lines uh, case comes to mind where you actually have to have sometimes jurors listen or look and and sort of compare what's being alleged to be a copyright infringement versus the original. Um, But you're right, tattoos are are unique in the sense that they're often copies of something else, usually something that the, um, the tattooed person likes. And you, you can bet that copyright issues all over the world and tattoo parlors all over the world are probably looking at cases like this and thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done uh, that might be the next, um, that might be scrutinized next. And you can also imagine that people that create unique work are probably also wondering whether or not their work has been replicated however many times by different tattoo parlors and they don't know about it. So, you know, you don't hear about this very often, but I can tell you a lot of people are probably following this case because it really is kind of a first of a kind lawsuit just based on the facts. I mean, somebody that took a photograph suing uh, somebody else for copyright infringement saying that tattoo is substantially similar 
to the photograph. Therefore, it's allegedly copyright infringement. That's a great thing about being a lawyer. You always joke it's the money. You know, not in my case, being a government lawyer, but the fact patterns are fascinating in that you, know, you never see the same thing twice. Yeah, and this could be precedent setting in this case. And I'm fascinated by this. I have no tattoos, but I'm fascinated by the people who have so many. And I wonder where this is going, if it's going to put a tamp down. on. And I wonder if the Disney people can start going all around the country and finding people who have Disney character tattoos and saying, hey, you have to get that removed. You've got a copyrighted image. That's our character. <laughs> They're famous for that. Uh, one more one more story yeah. here, Wendy. It's a big story out of Japan. Japan in the news today because of the, uh, the horrible assassination of the former prime minister. But this story out of Japan had me wanting to ask you about it. Japan's getting ready to really criminalize insults online. If that's the case... And if it comes here, are we going to have to build a whole bunch of prisons? <laughs> so um, probably not. But this is one of the cases that really is um, probably a sign of the times in the sense that online insults are, are taken very seriously nowadays. You know, online behavior, cyberbullying, and all the other terrible, nasty things that go on on the Internet, they've led to teen suicide. I mean, they've really had some horrific results, partially because of the broad reach of social media and all the different eyes on, um, depending on what you post. But in Japan, posting online insults would be punishable um, by up to a year in prison. Now, let me just give you a caveat. The reason I started by saying probably not, there are many crimes on the books that carry potential sentences of, and then a variety of different lengths. That doesn't necessarily mean Anybody convicted of these particular crimes will go to prison. Usually there's a lot of discretion that is used um, depending on, on, uh, on what the, what's criminalized. But I always say, don't be the test case. You know, that's always <laughs> my legal advice. Don't be the test case. So this is something that was passed earlier, in, uh, earlier this summer. There's also a fine. So the fine in this case can be up to 300,000 yen, which is over $2,200, um, previously, the punishment had been fewer than 30 days in jail and up to 10,000 yen. So they've upped the ante. And that, to me, was one of the most significant parts of the story, is that they're really determining this is more of a problem than we originally thought. We're going to make it even more serious. We're going to give this law more teeth to try to dissuade this kind of behavior. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I can just see somebody uh, that is the test case, and they're, they're sentenced to real time. In prison. And, yeah, now, Mike, what's and, an what's an insult would be the one. Uh, if I were to take the other side of this, I would say online insults are punishable by up to a year in prison. What is an insult? Is that subjective? You know, is it uh, have I been triggered by something that you said, or is this an objective standard? So, you know, it's it's just going to be interesting to see because there are no very clear definitions of what could be an insult um so it'll be interesting to see how this is implemented and how it's enforced yeah i i can imagine uh i told somebody your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries and here i am for a oh, year oh my goodness <laughs> i remember that line i remember that movie yes. wow another monty python fan uh, sure why not why the not? holy grail <laughs> absolutely her name is wendy patrick she's my friend and you should follow her on social media and uh, follow her in psychology today she writes great stories and covers all kinds of really interesting twists and turns in the legal world. My friend, thank you for joining us and uh, clarifying and debating with me on these important subjects.
Always a pleasure. Thank you. And there goes Wendy. Just the best. The absolute best. And speaking of the best, the best in the world of medicine, my friend Dr. Michael Roizen is joining us right now. Dr. Roizen is the guy from the Cleveland Clinic, the man behind the Age Proof Life series of books. He has a new book coming out this fall, September 13th, by the way. It's going to help you live younger, live longer. It's called The Great Age Reboot. It's going to make you into your own genetic engineer. And I got Dr. Roizen on the phone while he was driving home because we wanted to talk to the doctor about uh, marijuana. Marijuana is legal in so many states right now, but I don't think we know enough about it. I think it it hurts the brains of young people. We're even hearing that some of the, the mass shooters were marijuana consumers and they were so young, their brains weren't fully formed that possibly marijuana contributed to their mental illness. Dr. Roizen, I'm glad you are here. I would have baked you a cake, but I was worried that if I did, it would not have been healthy enough and you would have criticized me. So uh, no cake today, sir. Um, Well, you know, you can make healthy cakes. I I should say that we did our 100th episode of um, cooking uh, Vimeo, that is, episodes. I do the science and uh, Chef Jim Perko, who's the executive chef at the Cleveland Clinic, does the cooking. You can use almond flour and make it a very healthy cake. Okay. Um, so you can do that. Um, it's a mango uh, almond cake that we call the celebration cake for our 100th episode. So that's vimeo.com slash showcase in the kitchen. And you can see videos. You, should, you can link them. Feel free to link them. Michael. I will. I will. And I'm a big fan of the of the cookbook, the What to Eat When cookbook. Uh, I haven't ventured into desserts, so I will definitely do that. As you know, I talk about it all the time. I'm a fan of the MLT, the mushroom, lettuce, and tomato. Replace the BLT with an MLT and uh, be a little bit healthier. Let's talk about health and wellness. And uh, there's a topic that's really caught my eye, and it relates to marijuana use, chronic marijuana use. I'm not an advocate of recreational pot. I think medical marijuana is a miracle, but I'm nervous about recreational pot. I don't think we have enough data, uh, and I know you're a big fan of data. I'm worried that we're hearing things that uh, constant use of marijuana, cannabis, is affecting brains, especially young brains. Do we know enough yet, Doc, for... uh, for us to have a wholesale legalization of recreational pot? Uh, I don't think so. You know, the, the making it a Schedule One drug and illegal to transport across state lines may makes it very difficult to do um, what we call medical studies on it for an academic institution. And um, because of the lack of patentability, um, it hasn't been done by companies either. So we don't have very good research that is clearly long-term. What we know is that in the male brain isn't fully formed till someplace around age 23, the female brain 18 to 21. And so consequently, um, there is a change in brain circuitry from uh, cannabis use prior to that, whether edibles or vaping or uh, smoking it or no matter how you get it. 
we think it isn't healthy until that, especially for people who use it repeatedly and regularly. Just a quick sidebar question. How, how come women's brains mature quicker than men's? God made it that way. I'm guessing. I'm, I'm going to venture a guess. I'm going to make a real weird projection here, Doc, a hypothesis here that uh, God created that maturity in women because there's a chance they'll be raising children at a, a lot younger age than men, and they're going to need better brains to do that. Whereas men, even though we can create the children, often don't end up raising the children until they're maybe in their 20s. So, uh, it's, a, it's totally unscientific, Doc. It's just a weird idea that hit my head. As usual, you, you will have it. You pose interesting <laughs> theories and hypotheses, Michael. I'm just saying, great grand design by the guy up in the sky. It's all there. You mentioned vaping as we talked about the, the risks of using marijuana that we don't know enough about. And uh, earlier this month, or actually the end of last month, the FDA banned the Juul products, all those vaping products from Juul. And they were pulled from stores and put in the back room. They said, you can't use these anymore. And then uh, a day or two ago, the FDA said, well, we're putting a, a, a pause on the ban. So they're banning and then unbanning. Or I, what's going on with this, Doc? And, and why are vaping products under fire when tobacco products, which we know pose a health risk, are still pretty much everywhere? Well, the difference is the regulation and what we call grandfathering in. When these regulations were posed and when the FDA got um, authority to regulate food and drugs and uh, medical products, tobacco was already in use. Vaping wasn't a commercial product. And we know that vaping like smoking is harmful long-term and har and very harmful. What, what most people don't realize is the secondhand effects of vaping, the particles are um, even greater secondhand danger from vaping than is from smoking. Huh. Um, and so we don't have a, um, we don't have a grandfather in on vaping. So the FDA can regulate it um, strongly, and the, we and apparently the uh, Jewel Company did when uh, asked to provide data on safety and benefit was pretty inadequate data from what the FDA reported. So that's why they were able to ban it. Um, my guess is the political pressure. Um, from where these products were made, manufactured, etc., and from the company, um, revert temporarily got a reverse in that. But overall, I think um, it, it's probably a uh, problematic uh, product. Well, I, I'm I get that, and I sense that, and I didn't know about the secondhand vaping issue. That's really interesting and something everybody should be aware of when you're around people who are vaping. I do think that a lot of this gets tied to something uh, we didn't bring up, and that's money and, and uh, lobbying. And 
the tobacco lobby getting itself grandfathered seems to have saved their cheese, I guess. Uh, let's talk about some of this week's research because there's a whole bunch of it in here. Uh, we talk about sleep all the time here, Doctor. What is the sleep debt collector and why is the sleep debt collector here? Well, this is a interesting story because they started to measure adenosine levels in spinal fluid in people who had sleep debt. And they find there are spikes. Those spikes correlate with um, inability to concentrate, with inability to function normally, and with um, poor decision-making and poor coordination. So it is that that sleep debt, we now think that some of the problem in accidents and in poor functioning relates to these adenosine spikes that are caused by your brain saying, hey, um, we need more rest. And the neurons all of a sudden fire to release adenosine, which causes these spikes in poor performance as well as in huge desire to go to sleep caffeine i mean adenosine is the thing that builds up and causes us to sleep these spikes make us very dysfunctional um by the way caffeine one of the the ways caffeine um causes wakefulness is it decreases adenosine release hmm Wow, that's fascinating. I did not know that. Doc, I cook in in um, in our home. I cook using gas stoves uh, everywhere we've lived. We've always had gas stoves. Uh, is there a problem with gas stoves? Should I be switching to something else? Should I have a wood-fired stove in my house? Not a wood fire. Wood fire puts out a lot of air pollution. The message on this is holy mackerel. Um, if you're going to cook with a gas stove, and men, most you know, you're a foodie, so you cook, uh, if you will. And I've got to check with our executive chef because I know we have gas stoves even in our teaching kitchens. Um, well, it turns out almost all the gas stoves you should cook with either the windows open or with a, um, if you will, a fan that takes the fumes away from where you're cooking but there was a high leakage of contaminants, not the simple ones that are detected like carbon monoxide, although that was um, detected in many of the uh, 69 homes, but it was other chemicals that are carcinogens that cause cancer that was the, and they were in high enough quantities to be worrisome. So uh, Michael, um, we're gonna, I mean, the message from this, uh, study was maybe uh, electrical stoves, electric powered stoves, that electricity powered stoves are going to be the major way we go to cooking. And the other recommendation from the Mass General uh, Nutrition Group was that if you've got a, uh, if you're building a new home, build it with an electric stove. And if you've got a uh, gas stove, maybe you should get it out of your uh, home. I'm going to go to a nuclear-powered stove. I'm going to have a small nuclear reactor that's more reliable. And basically, it's clean if we if we get right down to it. His name is Dr. Michael Royce, and follow him on Twitter. 
He's great on Twitter. Great stuff on Twitter. And uh, order the book already. The Great Age Reboot will be here September 13th. And we're going to be talking about it from now until then and after then. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And there he goes, Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic. The absolute best. And uh, always generous with his time. I am going to take a break and shut it down. I'll be back next week with more podcasts and maybe a few guest appearances and fill-in hosting gigs. I'll let you know. In the meanwhile, tell your friends, share this podcast, and be good to each other. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. 